I don't know whether you've ever done this, but um, I quite often like watching people. I'm sure most people like watching people. When I'm sitting in a cafe, I like to, you know, see what's going on. Well, I used to. Don't often get chance now because I'm sort of watching my own people <laughs> to see that they're not doing anything terrible. And before I had children, I used to sit and watch people, and especially used to watch people with children. Because, you know, they're sort of there, aren't they? And you can't get away from what's happening. And you'd see these, these frustrated parents trying to control their children. And I, before I had children, I'd forever be thinking, oh, why can't, you know, the children just sit still? I mean, it's not that hard, is it? You know, what, why can't the parents just make them sit still and eat and drink? And what, why are they jumping around? Why do they keep fidgeting, falling off their stool? What is that all about? And sort of in my mind, I came up with these motherly ideas, you know, the the ideals of what I would do when I had children. And I thought, you know, my kids will sit at a table to eat their food nicely. They'll sit, I'll tell them, they'll eat. They won't fidget. They're not going to be standing on the chair or kneeling or falling off or throwing their food over their shoulder. They're going to sit and eat. My kids are not going to watch telly straight after school because that's not very good. You know, they're going to come in and we'll have a time of relaxing. I'm not going to put the telly on straight away because, you know, don't do that. My kids are always going to eat healthy snacks, I think, because if they eat more sugar, then they're going to be more hyper. That's probably why all these children can't sit still at the table. So they're going to eat healthily for definite. I will never bribe my children was one of the things that I promised because... That's just wrong, isn't it? Bribing your children to do something good. They should just do something good because they want to do the good thing. One thing that I will never do, that I saw a lot, is I will never try to reason with my child. These parents reasoning with children. I mean, they're four years old. Why would you do that? And I will never, ever, ever be one of those parents who chases my child around the supermarket, looking like I'm completely out of control and cannot be a mother. So I had all these ideals, which I thought were perfect, and if only people would listen to me, they would know how to raise their children. Well then, I had the boys. Or if you like, then I entered into a relationship with two children who had a will of their own. All those things I've just mentioned that I would never do, I've done plenty of times. Bribery, it's a wonderful thing. I always have something to bribe my children with. I have chased them around the supermarket, both of them, on many occasions, leaving my shopping all over the floor as they tried to run out of the building. They never sit still. They wave their food around while they're talking and it ends up on the wall. You know, all these things, all my theories, all my beliefs, all my great ideas, expectations, They simply had to change when I had children. Some of them went out the window completely, along with a number of other things at various times during their upbringing, and still. While some of them I'm still desperately trying to make happen. But the thing that I realised, having entered into a relationship with the reality of my children, was that my grand plans that I had when looking on someone else's life wouldn't work in real life. They wouldn't work in a real relationship. And, you know, of course, this is not just specific to children and parents. I figured out 
over the years, that there's similarities with every kind of relationship that we have. Because it seems that having relationships with people, especially close relationships, in many, many ways completely messes up our wonderful ideals of how life should work and how life should be. It's very easy for us, for instance, to look at a relationship from afar and to make it work. Well, I know what they should do. This is what should happen. But when we actually then enter into that relationship for ourselves, we find that our perfect plans just don't translate to reality. Often not one little bit do they translate. Because the thing about relationships is that, as we know, they're not theories and they're not ideals. They're complicated. They're unpredictable. They're occasionally tricky and sometimes they're downright hard for the very fact that they are real. They're the place where life actually happens and where life is really lived. And so they try us and they test us and they push us to the limits. They're the places where we find out who we really are and how we really cope when we're up against it. And most of all, they're the places where we find out whether our theories and beliefs that we formulated in our mind and in the quiet places when we're not with other people can actually mature into reality when we're interacting with others. And so it follows that for life to be fully lived and indeed for our faith to fully grow, we need to pay attention to the relationships that we have with other people. Which is why, after talking about the wonders of God and the unity of the body of Christ, having talked about the amazing theory and belief of the Christian faith, Paul, in this letter to the Ephesians, then turns his attention to relationships. The relationships that we all have with each other. And in this passage, he focuses specifically on parents and children and on masters and slaves. And the reason he picks these relationships, along with um, the husband and wife, the marriage relationship in the previous chapter, is because in the first century world, in the times that these Christians he was writing to, uh, while reading this letter, along with the relationship of those in authority, these were the most important human relationships that they had. These were the bedrock of society, the place where the Ephesian Christians would be tested and tried and matured the most. The place, if you like, where their beliefs would become a reality. And so Paul knew that the way that they approached these specific relationships was key. And the way that they acted within these relationships was vital if they were to translate their Christian belief into reality. Now, it's interesting to notice that what Paul is saying about these relationships is how to cope within them. Firstly and foremost, we need to recognise that he never challenges the relationships themselves. For instance, not once does he challenge the overarching, sometimes in that culture, overbearing authority of the first century father. Not once does he challenge the lowly state of children, how they were deemed to be not very important in society. Not once does he challenge the idea that they were slaves or the notion that they should be masters. Or if you like, not once does he seek to transform the structures that that are in the confines of that culture. Instead, he chooses to talk about how to live within these structures, which when we read this passage today, 
can be a little strange, especially in the light of Jesus' revolutionary teaching about how you should treat people. But it's most probably due to the fact that Paul was a man of his time. You know, he was born into a culture where children were under the authority of their parents until the father died, or until he was 60 years old, at least. He was in a culture and had been born into it where children were expected, even demanded, to respect their parents. This was the way that the world worked, had always worked for him and was always going to work. And likewise with slaves, he was born into a time where unless you were very, very poor, you had a slave. One third of the early Roman Empire was made up of slaves. Sometimes they were treated well as part of the family. They were respected and sometimes they were used and abused in any way possible. This was how Paul's world worked and in many ways without slaves that world just wouldn't have worked at all it would have ground to a halt so Paul having been brought up and born in this culture doesn't challenge these structures but instead within these structures he offers a way forward a different way to live within these relationships that are established And the fact is, what he does is is pretty radical. What he says is quite radical for his day. It's advice that will challenge those relationships. And it's advice that will certainly point the way to God if it is followed. And he does this first and foremost by addressing all parties involved. Now, bearing in mind that children were practically ignored in the first century and slaves were seen as the property of people rather than human beings, this approach is far more radical than we imagine it to be today, especially as the first person that he addresses in each case is the one who would have no business being involved in this discussion in the first place. Because the first person he addresses is the child and the first person he addresses is the slave the ones who have no rights, the ones who have no authority, the ones who have no standing in their society. And he says to them, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eyes are on you, but as slaves as Christ, doing the will of God with your heart. Or if you like, Paul says to these two groups of people who have no real value to anyone around, those who were deemed to be the property of others in different ways, he says, you have rights too. You are human. You are special to God. And therefore, rather than silently taking the life that you are given, begrudgingly doing what you are expected to do, while frequently being overlooked, ordered around, and in the case of slaves, often abused, you too have a role to play. You too have a life to live within this relationship. You too are important I'm not asking you to break up the relationship and destroy it so you can have freedom. But I'm asking you to fill this relationship 
with the ways of God. If you are a child, you are to obey your parents with all of your heart, seeking to bring the humility and love of Christ into full view of those who care for you, those people who really need to see the love of Christ regularly. And if you are a slave, you can not only obey because, let's face it, you are told to do that, but you can fill that obedience with true service. Serving your master as you would serve Christ every minute of every day. So that those people who fail to see true humanity, who treat you like dirt, can catch a glimpse of what it is to be truly human in you and in the lives you live before them. You have a role to play, says Paul. You have a choice to make within these relationships. Because the way you live within this relationship as a child and as a slave can not only make your beliefs real, but they can transform those around you as well when they see the difference in how you're living. And then Paul turns to the parents and to the masters, those people who are all important in society, but not as important in this passage. And he says to them, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And masters, do not threaten your slaves, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. Or if you like, fathers, do not buy into the image that that is in society, that you can treat your children as you wish, and then expect them to behave. Do not treat them with disrespect because they are expected to obey you. How does that show what God is like? And how does that show how he has transformed your life? Instead, be radical and nurture them. Nurture them in God so that they too may recognise and accept this wonderful life that you have been given. And masters... Don't fall into the laziness of your role, treating other human beings as possessions and belongings. Instead, treat them as they treat you. Serve them and work hard for their well-being. Because you're just like them, under the authority of God, who cares and values you both exactly the same. And if you do these things, implies Paul in this passage, if you radically change the way you behave within your relationships, then what you believe will become real, not only to you, but to everyone around. And how you act will become truly transformative in all your relationships. And, you know, taken in the context of the first century world with all the expectations and restrictions that we've mentioned, Paul may not have been challenging the structure of the day. He may not have been saying there shouldn't be slaves. But what he was saying was just as revolutionary because what he was saying is whatever relationship you are in and whichever party you are within that relationship, you have a very important role to play as children of God. And if you follow Christ, it's not good enough to conform to the expectations of society. It's not good enough just to do what everyone else is doing. And it's not right simply to become lazy with the role that you have been given. You need to live differently. You need to act in ways that bring life and newness and love 
to that which can so easily be taken for granted. Because these relationships are where life happens. And so these relationships are where Christ will work and do things. And you know, today, although we don't have the same social structures as Paul, families are very, very different. And for many of us, slavery is very, very hidden. And it's certainly very far from our everyday lives. But we do all have relationships, every single one of us. We do all have some kind of family relationship, work relationship, friendships, colleagues. We have parents, children, brothers, sisters. Whether formal like family structures or close relationships that have grown up over the years that we deem to be family to us. And how we act within these relationships as Christians is just as vital as it was in Paul's time. For a start, it shows whether the beliefs we hold really stand up to the reality of life. But more more importantly, these relationships are a place where real change can and should take place. And I'm not saying it's easy... I was just talking to people this morning about how I've had such a wonderful week with my family relationships. Sometimes it can be really, really hard. And I'm sure we all feel that it can be really, really hard at times. I'm sure on the simplest of levels, many of us have, you know, screamed at our children just before we've opened the door and smiled at our neighbour sweetly and gone, oh, hello, come on, kids, love you. We've all done things like that. I'm sure we've all been offhand with a work colleague because we are stressed and we have problems and we have to meet deadlines. I'm sure we've all treated friends harshly because they don't seem to get what we're saying or they don't react as we want to. I'm sure we've all struggled with our family relationships to one degree or another. Because it's hard. It's hard to practice our faith with people around especially people who are really close to us. So we need to be kind to ourselves. But it's also vital to recognise, as Paul did, that we practice our faith with other people. We can't just come up with theories that we think are right. We can't just worship God in the confines of a church building. We need to worship him within the relationships which we face every day. Not just in our minds, but with the whole of our lives. Otherwise, it's just a belief that has absolutely no bearing at all on what we do or who we are. So I was watching, Paul, you'll be very pleased to hear this, I was watching the film uh, The Case for Christ recently about Lee Strobel's who is an invest- was an investigative journalist, a lot of you may have heard of him, whose wife uh, became a Christian. Now, he was an atheist, and he was horrified at this, and he set out to disprove what she believed, because he was a journalist. He went to great lengths, travelling across America to meet people, to talk about the evidence for Christ, and he was going to prove that actually what she believed was just a load of rubbish. Spent quite a long time doing this, and he treated his wife quite badly at times during this, because he was angry. He was angry that she had started to change and that, that she'd, she'd sort of gone rogue in their relationship. She started following this Jesus who they'd agreed wasn't real when they got together. And after quite a long time and quite a lot of evidence gathered, he realised that actually he couldn't disprove 
the existence of Christ and actually couldn't really disprove that Jesus was God. And in the end, he gave in. And he gave his life to Christ. He gave his life to Christ because he couldn't disprove the evidence. But more importantly, he gave his life to Christ because of the way his wife had treated him. Because in all the time he'd been searching to disprove all these theories, she had continued to love him and care for him. In all the times that he'd come home angry and told her what she was believing was rubbish, she had continued to be patient with him and to show the love of God to him. She practised her faith within the relationship in which she lived, and he had seen that difference in her. And this is essentially what Paul is saying in this passage, that to live for Christ, we need to live for Christ in our closest relationships. And this will bring our belief into reality. Let's just pause for a moment before we pray together.